We direct your attention to the Word of God, to the book of 1 Samuel. We are involved in a study of several months about a man after God's own heart. And we come now to the part of the story where Saul is turning sour after David has brought down Goliath. These things begin to unfold beginning in chapter 18. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt, bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him. Twice, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Now chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And then chapter 20. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? The Word of the Lord. You may be seated.
There are three main characters in this drama. A father and a son and God's anointed. The father is Saul, the current reigning king of Israel. The son is Jonathan, his oldest of three sons. The Lord's anointed is a shepherd boy, David, who has just come to the court by way of a victory that he had won in the name of the Lord over the Philistine giant, Goliath. And David being multi-talented and multi-gifted and anointed with the Lord and the Lord being with him had a multiple ministry to Saul. He not only had fought this important battle, which Saul himself should have fought, and if Saul didn't fight it, Jonathan should have fought it, but instead David had fought this battle and had won. And he now came to the court of Saul the king as a musician to soothe the troubled soul of King Saul. And as we read this drama in its entirety over several chapters, we discover a few things. And looking at the character, we've looked a lot at Saul. We've seen his great beginning, his anointing, the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon him, God turning him into another man, giving him gifts, giving him associations and support, the approbation of the people, the victory over the Philistines in the early days. There was so much promise in Saul. And yet we saw he seemed to never be able to catch on to what God was wanting him to do, and that was to obey the Word of the Lord, follow the Lord, and do the Lord's work the Lord's way. And first, the Lord disciplined him by saying he would remove the dynasty from King Saul. His son, that is Jonathan, would not be the next king. And what's worse, later on, with a further act of disobedience and irreverence and virtual blasphemy against the Lord, Saul had the kingship removed from him. In the eyes of the Lord, Saul was really no longer in any way functionally the king of Israel because God had turned his affection to David and had anointed David to be the next king. In the middle of this was Jonathan, the son of Saul. If there ever was a person in the Old Testament you can despise in a way, and at times just feel real grief like Samuel did for, for someone, it was Saul. If there's anyone that you could admire in the Old Testament, in his character, it was his son, Jonathan. Jonathan was a young man and was with his father as his father began to reign. And very early, back in chapter 10, we discover that Jonathan was really the de facto leader of God's people. He was the champion. He was the one that, that had the victories. In fact, he by himself had conquered 
one particular Philistine garrison. And even though Saul had many men of war, the one that was most valiant was his own son, Jonathan. Jonathan had common sense, wisdom. He was subservient to his father. He covered for his father's mistakes at times. Jonathan had the approbation of God's people more than anybody. In fact, at one point, Saul had sworn an oath, an absurd oath. And when Jonathan came in violation of the word of the king, he was to die and the people spoke up for Jonathan because they liked him and admired him and needed him so much and made Saul retract. And we find Jonathan is extremely supportive of the people. Jonathan is a good man. He's a good man in a lot of ways. He has a heart of loyalty. He's loyal to his father. I want to tell you right now before we go any further in the story that Jonathan honored his father all the days of his life. He followed that which his father wanted. He did everything he could to help his father do the right thing. And Jonathan was loyal to his dad. Even though Jonathan would help David escape his father's grasp, you'll never find Jonathan on any of those expeditions that King Saul later would mount to go get David and kill him. Jonathan never was part of those parties that went looking for David. And the last we'll ever hear of Jonathan is he dies in battle alongside Saul at Gilboa, fighting by his father's side. There was not a disloyal bone in Jonathan's body. But we'll see, as I try to paint the picture here for just a moment, of this father and son combination, this father Saul and this son Jonathan, each had absolutely polar opposite relationships and views and relationship ongoing with David, God's anointed. And I would like to just suggest this morning that that perhaps is the way each and every one of us are. We have one or the other relationship with God's anointed. David was without question God's anointed. David was the man after God's own heart. David was the lion of the tribe of Judah. David was the heir of the true scepter of God's people. The kingdom of God. David would not only rise to that level and serve for 40 years, but he would remain forever the ideal king. All the other kings of the house of Judah in sequence were compared to David. Either they walked in the ways of the Lord like David, or they departed from the Lord. David was the standard of comparison for all future kings. And of course, we all in this room know that the whole point is not David, it's not Jonathan, it's not Saul, it's Christ. The whole Old Testament points to Christ and this passage just screams and praises the Lord's anointed, that is Jesus Christ. 
And it does so by showing the relationship of these two men to David. We won't be able to cover all the points, but let me summarize just a few of the more salient points. First of all, Saul. We kind of know that. Saul always has in his life, right on up to the very end, an ambivalence about David. On the one hand, he's proud of him. He rejoices in David's victory. He wants to bestow everything he has. He gives his baby girl to be David's wife. He is in every way supportive of David. He likes David. There's something about David that that attracts him. Saul is proud of David. Saul elevates David. He gives him responsibility within his kingdom. But then there is this insidious turning of his mind and his heart away from God first, away from the words of the prophet Samuel next, and then finally away from David. And we see in this passage, we see Saul begin to move toward a hatred of David. The Scripture says here, and Saul eyed David from that day on. The word here is invidious. The word video is in there. How do you see? How do you view? An invidious look is that look that looks upon someone with, first of all, a measure of jealousy, a measure of envy. And then it begins to turn to fear that perhaps this person will somehow replace, will somehow be more dominant than you. And then it moves toward hating, despising. And then it'll move all the way to the murderous heart that will do everything it can to kill someone. Murder rises from that invidious, insidious, murderous heart. And this is what is happening to King Saul. The Spirit of the Lord had been upon him, but the Spirit had been withdrawn. But God didn't leave it there. He allowed a troubling spirit. Almost so much so that most have said that Saul had the symptoms of some kind of severe mental illness. His whole psyche was warped by his relationship to David. As David increased, Saul became more jealous, more fearful, more hateful toward David. His heart got hardened. There's an episode that was in our text, but on one occasion, King Saul finds out where David was, and David was down in a village that was occupied by the priests. And David was down there with them, and David and Saul sent a contingency down there to, to go after David. And when they got to the borders of the prophet's camp, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul's men, and they prophesied. They got converted. They got close enough to the men of God, they got converted. And they weren't able to carry out the order to, to seize King David. Saul sent another dispatch down there to do it. Same thing happened to them. Finally, Saul said, I'll take care of this myself. He went down there to the place of the priest to execute David. And he got to the edge of the camp and the Spirit of the Lord came on him. Just like it had before. 
But instead of having the positive reaction, it was the negative reaction. And the Bible says he acted insanely, he stripped down naked, and he lay before the prophets all night long. And when he got up, his heart was harder than ever. That didn't happen to Jacob. When Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night long, he woke up a broken man with a touched thigh and a symbol of his faith and seized upon the Lord and says, Bless me, I'll have what you have to give. It was it the experience of the men of God when they wrestle with God all night long? They come up broken. They come up repentant. They come up seeing the light and feeling the warmth. But not Saul. Saul had become so hardened that after the Spirit of the Lord being on him and him being in that state all night long, he was determined to kill David. This is the hardest heart and the most hateful soul toward David you can imagine. Saul is now bound for perdition. He is reprobate. He is determined. This passage says here that he is determined to kill David. Jonathan related to David differently. When he first met him, he liked him, and then after he had slaughtered Goliath, it said the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. All the difference in the world between father and son. In fact, the Bible says a couple of things. It said that Jonathan made a covenant the covenant of Yahweh, which is the covenant. Jonathan was not looking to Jesus Christ at that point because Christ had not come, but he was looking at the representation of Christ. Just like they sacrificed the lambs, knowing that the lamb represented the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jonathan recognized David as the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the kings. And he submitted to him. He took off his armor. He surrendered his weapons, his sword, his spear, his bow. And he bowed himself in allegiance and humble submission before the man who represented the King of Kings. And he swore an allegiance to him. And from that day forward, Jonathan was knit in his soul to David. Loyal to David. This, this word love is a, is a covenant love. It's a loyalty. That's what David received from Jonathan. It was reciprocal in every way. In fact, at the, the uh, funeral of Jonathan, David would later say that he loved me with a love that was greater than any love known on earth. That's the way Jonathan looked at David. But there's a couple of passages that, especially one, let me just look at one here at this point, that sort of tell me what 
I need to know about this relationship ultimately between these and among these three men. That last passage says Saul was, his anger was kindled against Jonathan. When Jonathan had helped David escape, he was absolutely livid. Now Saul turns on his own son, Jonathan, and did the same thing he had tried to do to David. He tried to pin him to the wall with his javelin. Can you imagine that? His hatred of David was so strong that it, that it counteracted his love for his own son. It had not only destroyed his soul, but now it was destroying his relationship. And so he, he, puts a, he says a curse to David. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse? That's what Jonathan did that I want everyone in this room to do or be sure you have done before you leave this house this morning. Have you chosen the son of Jesse? Jesse's David's father. Have you chosen David? The ideal king. The man after God's own heart. The one that God has set before you to be your Savior. Have you placed your affection, your loyalty, your allegiance upon Him? Have you taken off your armor of, of, of yourself and laid it before the Lord in surrender to Him? Have you honored His royalty, His majesty, His rule and reign in your life? Have you done what Jonathan did? Have you chosen the son of Jesse? Saul was outraged because he still believed that he was going to have a dynasty. He still believed he was king. And here's Jonathan recognizing the purposes of God, the power of God, and the work of God in the kingdom and in the life of David and what was going to happen. Jonathan was not going to be the king. There was not going to be a Benjamite dynasty. There was going to be a dynasty of David. A house. God was going to build a house for David. And a lineage for David. A lineage which would eventually bring forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There was one little verse. You know how those of us have been here for a while and <laughs> something just hits me and I just can't hardly get over it. I read a lot of commentaries. I do a lot of reading and studying them, but most of what seems to hit me sometimes just kind of comes not off the page, just sort of hits me like a lightning bolt. And this is what got me here. This is, Day this is Jonathan, who was an intercessor and an intermediary between David and Saul. And you've, you've read the whole story about how often he tried to, to speak on a word on behalf of David. And the, the Scripture even said he spoke a good word for David, which means he eulogized David. He talked about how wonderful David had been, how helpful David had been for Saul, and all of that. And so here he is one more time, the last time actually. Saul says that David shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Why should he be put to death? What has he done? 
Why should this innocent man who's always been good to you, why should he die? And that's the question. Why should Christ die? What has he done? What has Christ done deserving of death? He asked the people in his day, which of you accuseth me of sin? Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Why should he die? Why should Christ die? What has he done? Let me tell you in the minute I have left. I'll tell you what he's done. I'll tell you why he needs to die. He has taken upon himself the sins of his people. He has assumed unto himself and he has received the bitter cup of wrath. He has inherited the sentence of death by God's eternal counsel and decree. He has stepped forward to lay down his life and to receive in his own body the execution, the death that is due sinful people. And because He has become sin for us, He who knew no sin has become sin for us. Why should Him die? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's why Jesus died. And so, you wouldn't have to. He paid the penalty. He bore the cost. He drank the cup, the bitter cup, of the wrath of God to all the way to the bottom of the bowl. Drank every drop to pay the price for your every sin. The spirit of Saul is the spirit that crucified Jesus. It's the Spirit that cried, crucify Him! He's got to die! And in the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and in the wonderful plan of salvation, that's exactly the way it should be. As the priest declared in his ignorance over the multitude that day as before they crucified Christ, he said, one man must die for the people. And that's what it is. Why should he be put to death? What has He done? He should be put to death because He's bearing your sins. And when He is, you are now saved, delivered, free. Far greater victory than that over Goliath is the death that Christ died for your victory. Can't, can't you just love Him? Won't you knit your soul to Him? Won't you lay down your garments and your robes and bow in allegiance to Him? Isn't He the one that your soul loves for all eternity? 